HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. I'm Michael Ameko from Food Talk. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you pre-recorded from the Heritage Radio Network and Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. How you doing, Stas? Joined as usual, Stas. How you doing? Good. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Nastasia, the Hammer Lopez people. You can't call in to speak to her while she's wearing it, but she is wearing, for the first time this year at the radio show, her marvelous Christmas hat. <laughs> I think we got a tweet out or something that, that her hat, because the hat is like... There's a photo online there of is? you and I here with it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah, there is, strangely. Who it, did that? I don't uh, know. Me? It is a fantastic Christmas hat. It is completely unrelated to the phenomenon of the ugliest, ugly Christmas sweater, of which you also have several. Yes. Yes. But this is actually a legit awesome Christmas hat. It turns her entire head into a festive... Christmas tree, yeah. totally covering the sourness that comes out of the mouth attached to the hat. Whoa. Wow. 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 Yikes. Oh, Jeez. and joined. Merry Christmas. Merry yeah. Christmas. Joined in the booth with our good buddy, Jackie Molecules. What's up? Jack Inslee. How's it going? It's great. I'm in a really, really, really good mood because the Cooking Issues listeners have gone like above and beyond with their donations to the network, and uh, it, it's awesome. Nice. It's so awesome. They nice. really represented so well. There are too many of them for me to even shout out. It's crazy. Um, but just know that every time those come in, we're, everybody in the team is like super, super stoked, and, and we can't thank you all enough. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, I just came from a – by the way, so we're recording this on Monday instead of on Tuesday because uh, Nastasia has to go up to Boston uh, to tomorrow. To get a flight. To get a f- <laughs> Why, why are you flying out of Boston? Don't get me started. Like, you know, like, I thought you were going to Boston to go to Boston. No. Getting a flight. From Boston? Yep. Let me guess. $50 cheaper. No, a lot cheaper. Like how much cheaper? Like $150 cheaper. How much is it costing you to get to Boston? It's $30 on the bus. And so, so 
I'm going to do this math here. What's your time worth? So right? $120. By the well, way, the if, if, you work, Nista- like if you want Nastasia to fair. throw away four hours of her time in each direction. No, right? I fly back into New York. Oh, okay. All right, all right, all right. Whatever. I don't even want to. Don't even get me started. Don't get me started. Uh, so you'll enjoy this, Nastasia. So uh, earlier today, I had to do a series of videos for Vox for mm-hmm. the Museum of Food and Drink. Right? It's part of our contractual obligation with Infinity. Uh, and, you know, food science demos. No one asked me to just sit around and talk about, I don't know, something. It's always like some sort of tech and science stuff, right? right? So they said, hey, you know, yeah, let's, you know we're going to do liquid nitrogen. I'm like, really? Really? Jack, you know what? I'm like, really? You know how many times I've done the liquid nitrogen demo, Jack? Yeah. yeah. So many. Many. So, many. And uh, so I figured I was going to mix it up a little bit. Stas, you're going to like this. You're going to want to pay heard. attention. You already, you already heard? Of course. Well, Peter ruins everything. He's supposed to come on the show. Peter from, uh, Kim from the Museum of Food and Drink. He's like, oh, yeah, I'll come on the show. He's like, no, I'm busy, man. Not busy. He sucks all of my time this morning. He's going to suck all of my time this afternoon. He's too busy to come on the radio show with us. I Instead, know. just calls and ruins the surprise for you. But you folks here haven't heard it yet. So here's what it is. So I'm like, you know what? Liquid nitrogen, as we all know, is amazing, but it has three main safety issues. One, it can get cold burns, right? You could get cold burns from it, and that could either be from ingesting it, which you should never, ever, ever do, or from you know getting it poured onto your pants or some other thing, right? Uh, you know, you can get it on your hand, you know, because the light and frost affect it. It'll just roll off. It won't do anything. But, you know, there's cold burns is there. Asphyxiation is a big one. Remember, Mirvold almost mm-hmm. killed himself in his mm-hmm. car with liquid nitrogen. Mm-hmm. And so we have all these safety rules against asphyxiation. But the other one is, Jack, any guesses? You know this one? Nope. Explosions. Oh, yeah. So you can do the explosion noise again. So, yeah. Yeah. And in fact, years ago, and we always talk about it, there was a German cook who took liquid nitrogen in a sealed container home from the restaurant, and it exploded in his girlfriend's bathroom and, like, took off one of his legs, one of his hands, most of the other hand, put him in a coma, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Because the pressure just keeps building and building and building, right? But I've never actually done the demo, because I've I've always wanted to do the demo, right? Mm -hmm. So I take... I swear to God, the name of this stuff. So I'm, I'm like, I'm like, listen, we're gonna blow up. You know, we're we're not in front of a big audience. We're just, we're gonna blow up a, a plastic bottle with liquid nitrogen to show how dangerous it is, right? So I take this thing. It's called harmless water. You heard of this? Harmless water. It's some sort of one of these coconut waters, mm. but it's in a non-carbonated bottle, right? Mm-hmm. So it shouldn't be a problem. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So anyway, so I'm like, eh, meh. So I get, I'm like, I'll get a Cambro because Cambros are made out of, uh, you know, uh, polycarbonate. They're strong and that stuff's not supposed to shatter. It's supposed to bend. It's made out of polycarbonate. Okay. So, okay. I get a big uh, Cambro. I get this little harmless water, right? And some liquid nitrogen, and you know I have safety goggles and all this. So I pour the liquid nitrogen into the harmless water container, and I screw it, and I quickly dump it quickly into the Cambro, and then I back off and go down, right, so that my eyes aren't over the top of the thing. And I was like, nothing happened, like literally nothing happened. So I like tap the thing, nothing, slosh it around. Nothing, nothing. Finally, I swear, and then, like it's it's nervous. Do you ever light fireworks in your kids' house? I never let them know. Jack, no. Really? No. I feel like we've all been raised on different planets. I mean, planets. yes, we. I, they were around. I, okay. I never let them. Okay, okay. So anyway, so anyway, if you light a firework and it doesn't go off, you're in a dangerous situation. Like that's what you you don't want. That if you light a firework, you want it to go off because a dud. You have to go dispose of a dud, and it might not be a dud. It might come on and yeah. like shoot you in the eye or burn the whatever. You get me. So 
I'm in a fire. I'm in a dud firework situation here, right? We're talking like a minute and a half later, and all of a sudden, part of this is these harmless water bottles are a obviously not harmless, and b much stronger than, for instance, Fiji water bottles, which I know I can blow up with a measly like 100, 110 psi. Because I've done that. I've held a Fiji water bottle and exploded it while I was carbonating in it. Like, you know, anyway. So all of a sudden, this bottle starts freaking growing. Like, growing and, like, starting to look more like a watermelon. And I'm like, And it was, when it finally went, it shattered the can. First of all, the bottle, like, disintegrated like a balloon. The Cambro freaking shattered and sent Cambro pieces everywhere. And it was the loudest. It was like shooting off like like three or four shotguns all all at the same time. Thank God they got it. I was like I was like we're gonna run a test, but you're gonna film this because I might never do it again. Yeah, you know what I mean. And the video it's horrifying. But so again, no one out there needs to try this. The video is horrifying, but kind of hilarious because what you see is you see me looking at it, trying to figure out what's going on. Then you see the explosion, and then like a second later, I'm like, oh, and I fall over. (laughs) Like that would help. Anyways. So oh keep God. your eyes out for that video. I don't know if they're going to actually put that section of it in there, but you know, you know how I like to do the, I like to do the what not to do in a semi-controlled environment. Very important. Very important. Although Jack, do you know how many times? And I've said this before, and I've told people not to do this. Do you know how many times I've done demos where I'm like, absolutely never do what I'm about to do, and then they leave out that part and just have me doing the bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's happened to me so many times. Every time I do it, Nastasia sits there and she shakes her head back and forth. She's like, how many times is it going to take before you learn? Mm-hmm. Wow. You know? Yeah. It's because be nothing funny. really bad has happened. Well, it, I'm going to edit an episode of this show, Dave, and just um, things that you say not to do. But right. I'll, t- I'll take out the disclaimer, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dave's top 10 tips for the year. Look who's back. What do you mean? Oh, oh uh, yeah. Oh, it's a Satan's, uh, Santa's little uh, hipster. Santa's little hipster. The uh, you know we we, we uh, for those of you just uh, tuning in for the first time to our show, we enjoy poking fun at the friendly uh, staff of Roberta's, as does everyone, right, Jack? I mean, yeah, it's yeah. all it's all love. Mm-hmm. It's all love. Um, I have been really hurt. What do you mean? That's why my wife doesn't trust me anymore. Yeah. No. I've lit well, myself it hasn't on fire. Been I've, in a while since you really hurt yourself. <laughs> it's been a while Knock since I really wood. damaged myself. Yes, yeah. If you, unless you count slipping with the with the mall and shoving it through my toe or any of those other things, but that didn't. Well, I wasn't cooking at the time. It's been a long time since I've Work injured related. in the kitchen. Yeah, is that true? Didn't I slice myself open recently? That was yeah. But I was like cooking at two home. Two or three? No, that was when that was in the basement. Huh? I made my Christmas cookies yesterday. Yeah, yes. yeah. Do you make Christmas cookies anymore, Stas? Or were you ruined that one time that we tried to make all those Christmas no, cookies no. for the troops? My parents do. I don't make any. Oh, my God. What kind of Christmas cookies do your parents make? Sugar. Just sugar? And fudge. Do you like fudge? Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. For real? Mm-hmm. Do you actually enjoy eating fudge? Mm-hmm. Jack, fudge? Yeah. Really? I do. Small doses. Mm-hmm. There you go. Small doses. And they see, you've actually hit a thing that I like it. Like, I can have small doses, but I would never be like, I'm going to tuck into this giant block no. of fudge. Oh, God, no. No. You know what I mean? But I've seen people do it. Mm. Like, I could eat an entire tray of brownies. Yes. But I only want, like, a little bit yeah. of fudge. And have we had this conversation? What kind of brownies are you guys? Are you guys the dense brownie people or are you cake brownie people? Dense for me. Dense. D- dense, dense. I like them both. I like them both. <laughs> Noncommittal. But N- I, nuts or no nuts? Um, I like nuts in a brownie, but I would always choose not nuts. Okay. Like, I, I, I don't mind it. I don't mind the taste of it. But the problem is, is that... 
they can get a little soggy. And to me, a brownie should be almost unitextural. I don't really need textural variation in my brownie. So, like, no chocolate chips. You know, a lot of brownies have, like, chocolate chips in them. Yeah, not mine. Kinda unnecessary. Yeah, right? no. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like chocolate chips, and I like brownies, but I don't need them in the same sitch. What about you, Stas? Yeah. I can go either way. No, you know what, you know what else I'm not a huge I, mean, I like it fine, but I'm not a huge fan of I'm not a huge fan of the, the this hyper like solid block of chocolate poured on top of the brownie mm, thing. Yeah. yeah. Or the frosting no. stuff. What about like fudge it. on top of a brownie? It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot, lot, right? lot. Words, there's something about a brownie, even a dense brownie, that allows you to eat almost an unlimited amount of it. <laughs> and I don't know what that is. You know what I mean? As opposed to like fudge, which fudge is self limiting. You're like you eat a little bit, you're like, okay, I'm done now. That was good. Yep. Now I'm done. So uh, anyway, so that, that kind of leads me in. So the cookies that I make, I always make three cookies. I make sugar cookies because the kids like to use that. We use the gun, the, the spritz gun. Mm-hmm. You like those? No, I've never used one. You know the secret? What? Right onto the aluminum pan. Mm. Because otherwise you'll pull up the parchment or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Um, and the dough has to be the right temperature. But yeah, they love the gun. They, make, they always make the same damn rosette, and then they try to make the Scotty dog. We have Scotty dogs, rosettes, Christmas trees, but the, all the shapes always end up messed up. The rosettes, it doesn't really matter because they, if they bleed, they bleed into circles, so mm-hmm. who cares? Anyways, mm-hmm. um, so I make those. I make the almond. Remember the Ricciarellis that, mm-hmm. that I make? I make those. I burnt out, actually, my Nixtamatic. I, like, I, the motor came back on, but I was trying to grind all the almonds in my Nixtamatic uh, Nixtamal maker, and it was rocking. And then all of a sudden, it stalled and went poof, and smoke came out oh, of the back. Man. And I was like, no! Because when's the next time I'm going to go to Mexico? And I would give up my, my corn grinder just because I was trying to be a bonehead and making almond cookies. Mm-hmm. That sounds like some stupid crap I would do, right? It is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then I make the I make these cookies that... Like theoretically, they're not good, but they're like my favorite cookie, and everyone also seems to kind of like them. Is that is it these cookies that are like my great great grandma's recipe from like the eighteen hundreds? They're like a, you know, like black and white cookies aren't really cookies; they're little cakes mm-hmm. with icing. Mm-hmm. These are like that, but they're chocolate, and they're made with clabbered milk. And so you make a clabbered milk, and you put this chocolate icing over the top, called bonbons. But they're really dry, so you have to drink something with them. But you keep eating them and mm. eating them and eating them. You know, cookies like that. No. Do you like those Italian hyper dry like vanilla cookies? With That's what my grandma makes. She's Sicilian. Yeah, I love those. Don't you love those? You just keep drinking and drinking like water with it. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. But yet you still want more. Yep. Weird. Weird. Anyway, that's what I did. Nice. Oh, and I got back from China. We haven't talked about China. Oh yeah. Centrifuge. We have a lot of stuff to talk about. Yeah, I know. That's why we don't need callers. I saw you said that Chinese takeout in China tastes like Chinese takeout here. Oh, yeah. Well, also, when I said that, I was quite disappointed because I was supposed to have gone to this, like, awesome uh, Sichuan restaurant where this where the, the waiters know how to, like, they can do that mask trick where they change their, their opera masks, like, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And instead, the meeting ran late because it turns out it takes a long time to explain to people how to build a centrifuge. And so instead, I got, like, this little thing of Chinese takeout. And I was like, I can't believe this. And then when I ate it, I was like, I can't, I cannot believe this. This <laughs> tastes like I walked across the freaking street, mm-hmm. you know, to like the local Chinese takeout and, you know, got their, you know, local. It was like, it's crazy. It was comforting for me to hear, though. Yeah? Yeah, I think yeah. so. All right. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, you know um, I mean, I had a lot of good, I had a lot of good, 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 interesting, interesting food while I'm there. Like, I think I said also on the Twitter, like, I had some really cool 
steamed bun varieties that you don't get over here um, or that I have never had before. So I need to do some investigation on that. I'm thinking I don't really have any time, but uh, you know, one of the things I'm interested in is uh, starches. So, like, being over there really made me think I need to up my starch game. So I want to, like, uh, I'm going to start categorizing. There's a, I, I have a couple technical books now on starches I need to read to get a, a handle on it. Because you ever notice that people, they say the same. If you, if you look up people's descriptions of different starches and, and what they're good for and what they're not good for, they're always extremely vague. You ever do that? You, you probably don't I do this. I hate starches. What? I hate the sound it makes. Oh, oh, oh. But you love starches. <laughs> You like noodles? Oh, you mean like start? Yeah, yeah. So, but anyways, but like the like most of the most of the you know popular writing on using different varieties. For instance, like you know you got you got your sweet potato, you got your your water chestnut, you got your caltrop, which is the other kind of water chestnut, which is a, they're entirely different species. You got you know, there's a zillion different starches. You got your tapiocas, your potatoes, and not even to mention your modern or modified starches. So anyway, I want to go through that before I really get into the kind of like bun thing. I want to go through kind of a starch a starch extravaganza. And there's actually there's an interesting book from 1919, I think, that has like these lunatics just took a pictures of like 500 different starches. It's on the internet. Maybe I'll post a, a link to it so people can see like this like start that that person didn't give a rat's behind about cooking. Anyway, I, I look forward to hearing more, or don't to hearing more because remember, you know, at Clefs who writes in sometimes mm-hmm. uh, on the Twitter, he's from Japan or lives in Japan. He came up with this interesting problem. You ready for it? I'm going to try and tackle this probably not over the break. I won't have time, but he, I think it was buckwheat, either buckwheat or rye. I can't remember. Wants to make something, the texture of fresh mozzarella made out of that with the flavor, the flavor of, I forget whether it was rye or buckwheat texture of fresh mozzarella. And I was like, you know what? That sounds like it'd be good. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think I know how to do it. It's like a mixture of like soy milk, cashew cheese, uh, LBG, kappa. And like I got to figure out how to get the, 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 the flavor of the buckwheat without having too much of an additional starch. Anyway, I'm working on it. Just, just so you people know, I'm working on it. Is there any way to set up like a, like a, like a open source like where like you're like this is the thing you have to do to include the information like i'm going to come up with like standardized starch recipes to test out the different starch things and then you know uh do them and then there's no way i could have other people i don't know i'm sure that exists i don't know how to do it i'm just terrible communication with people that's the thing what are you doing for christmas does going home for two days two days two days huh long way to go for two days yep. out to out to la at, well not really covina land of good burger mm-hmm. what about you senior molecules what are you doing for the holiday i drive to long island for the night yeah that's it all right all right let's take some questions uh hey dave nasasa jack and the rest of the crew it's just us today it's just us alex uh, from the bay area up near where you went to college, mm-hmm. this does. Mm-hmm. You have any love for the Bay Area? I hate the Bay Area. Hmm. All righty. What do you really think about it? <laughs> Merry Christmas, Bay Area people. Nastasia hates you. Uh, I have a question regarding pressure cookers and induction cooktops. I had a Fagor Duo earlier. Yes, yes, I'm aware that they don't make a great stock, as I read from your cooking, as great of a stock uh, as I read in your cooking issues primer. But I was thinking of maybe getting a giant mason jar uh, of sorts and sticking the bones and trapping all of that uh, within the lid if that was a possible method of retaining more flavor. Uh, it is. Uh, in fact, Modernist Cuisine does that um, all the time. They were the first people, I think, to sh- you know demonstrate that to me is the idea that if you don't have a sealed pressure cooker, you can just seal things inside of something in the pressure cooker, and it's, you know, same, same, same. Um, 
Unfortunately, I also live in an apartment that has a rather terribly old electric stove. Uh, I was wondering if buying a single separate induction top would be advisable since it may offer better controls. And if so, are there any recommended brands? Uh, yeah, they're awesome. I love them. I don't have any like kind of brands. Uh, I have had some die on me, but I think they just get better and better. The main problem with induction cooktops, frankly, is uh, the, the inexpensive ones. I mean, you could buy really expensive ones. How much was the one? What did we end up selling ours for, Stas? 800 900 yeah, but that's a real one. You know what I mean? Like uh, like two twenty or whatever. It doesn't you know? You need a separate. Uh, the ones that go into one ten. The problem that people have with it, and it a lot depends on how old you are and how good your hearing is, because they make this horrible noise. Does the noise bother you, Stas? Yes, I hate it. Yeah, Jack, you ever you know what I'm talking about? Nope. Yeah. So like every inexpensive induction burner that I've ever used just goes. Oh, yeah, you know no, I, I do mean? know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? And so, like, if you're like me, like an old fart that can't hear worth spit anyway, like, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't bother me so much. But, you know, Nastasia, like, like can't stand that. Yeah. It's like hearing an ice cube that's, like, on metal. Or, no, remember the, the dry ice on, yeah. on a hotel pan? Yeah. Yeah, it's just horrible. Man, I used to love turning on the uh, ultrasonic homogen- uh, homogenizer and watching everybody run. Mm. You know, there's got to be some benefits to have listened to too much loud music in your headphones for years, and it's I can, I can be around things that are unpleasant constantly. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, I do it every day. Mm-hmm. Oh, boom! Nice. Uh, hey. Uh, if so, what are recommended brands? My other question is in regards to the Instant Pot and all the other electric pressure cookers that were on sale recently from Black Friday. I don't know the Instant Pot. Do you, Stas? No. Jack, have you heard of the Instant Pot? Nope. Hmm. I don't know the Instant Pot, but I have used electric pressure cookers. In fact, I know the designer of the Cuisinart uh, electric pressure cooker, and I think they are convenient and they're they're good, and, and you don't have to w- – one of the things you have to worry about, although it's not as big a deal with an induction uh, um, top, is just uh, remembering to throttle the uh, – throttle it down so it doesn't, you know, um, doesn't – scorch or, or overpressurize. Um, my issue with the electrics, I think they're very convenient. I'm, you know, mine blew up eventually. Not, not exploded. Di- died. That's more, you know, didn't explode. Because mm-hmm. I've had that happen too, as Stas remembers. It was around Christmas time when we blew up that pressure cooker, yeah, right? Yeah, And we had a stock fountain? Yeah. Awesome. Good times. Um, so the problem is that they are a slightly lower pressure, so you'll need to recalibrate your recipes. And I really prefer to cook at 15 PSI uh, than I think – I forget what they – a lot of those run. They run like seven. I don't know why they run lower. I think part of the problem is, is that they're not actually judging pressure. They're actually controlling the temperature, and they're controlling the temperature a little bit higher, and I think that's really the reason. And that's why I was able to take uh, my electric pressure cooker and fool it into getting a higher pressure by just – altering the sensor so that it was wrong in the temperature and it jacked it up to the normal pressures that you want to use. Now, um, again, that voids any warranty, but it, it, it does work. The other problem with the electric pressure cookers, frankly, is is that a lot of times, like, uh, and uh, you know, I use Kuhn Recon, uh, but it was a gift. I didn't have to pay for it. And uh, it's a good pot, though. So the good thing about a good pressure cooker pot that's not like a, an electric kettle is that usually you can get the pot itself up to really high temperatures really quickly over a normal sort of a stove. And so it allows you to like, you know, um, it allows you to saute the onions first or if you're going to do a pre-sear or like brown the meat beforehand or something like this. That's a huge advantage, whereas I always found that with my electric pressure cooker, I would have to brown the meat or do the onions 
ingredients somewhere else because it was just taking for freaking ever. And who wants to sit around for a whole point of the pressure cooker? A lot, not always, but a lot of the time, the point of a pressure cooker is I can have something done in like 15, 20 minutes. And so who wants to wait 15 or 20 minutes for the onions to freaking saute so that you can then have a pressure cooker thing done in 20 minutes? And it's like doubling the freaking time it takes to make something. Who wants that? Do you want that no, stuff? No. No. Do you? But you don't have a pressure cooker, do you? No. Why? You don't cook that way? You don't do no, braises? I don't, no, I don't. Do you don't like braises? It's usually one for one person, so. Oh, me, me, me. This, by the way, Stas is like like trying to do some sort of like Christmassy blues crap. I'm not because <laughs> I don't do Nastasia, that. every day of the week. Nastasia's like, I got to get home because I'm cooking for like well, thirty yeah, people. And They're how in my long house. Does that take like? That's what I'm saying. The pressure cooker is twenty minutes. Twenty freaking minutes is what I'm trying to tell you. It's just it seems like a lot of work. Oh. Seems like a lot of work. If any listener wants to send Nastasia a Secret Santa gift, no, <laughs> no, no, wow, no, wow, <laughs> wow, wow. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, let me see here. Got a question in three related questions. Uh, and we're supposed to have the questions from last week, but like with this whole blowing things up at the thing, I, you know, we're all discombobulated. So these are the questions I have. Um, one of the amazing things about low temp cooking has been, uh, being part of the online community that has put in so many hours working on and sharing techniques and ideas. The technique has been largely ignored by the cookbook publishing world and they saying, are there about four books? Is that true? I don't know. There's the Thomas Keller. There's the original one Roca book. Uh, there's Modernist Cuisine, Modernist at Home. What do they have now? They also have, they have Modernist in the Small Cafe, Modernist in the... <laughs> in the bar. Modernist in the bar, Modernist <laughs> in the... Uh, kidding. Uh, and, and yours, uh, maybe. Well, no, I don't have... Kenji's book has some uh, stuff in it. Uh, I'm sure the Ideas and Food uh, guys have some in their books. Oh, what about... Uh, what? Uh, oh, there, the couple. Know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Ideas and Food. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure there's more. But you're right. There's not as many as there could be. There's, a, there's also some European ones, but... Well, wow, the, the, the Roca one's a European one. There's that weird German one where the temperatures were like twice as high as they should be. Remember that one? No. Uh, anyway. Uh, it's a long time ago. Anyway, the uniqueness of the ter- uh, term... Um, what is it? What is it? Ignored by the cookbook publishing, the uniqueness of the term has allowed the online community to connect and build a body of knowledge that we can now benefit from. I agree that sous vide, uh, as a word, is a low-quality description for low-temperature cooking. However, it is impossible to Google low-temp techniques and temperatures. That's true, I guess. Uh, Is it worth giving up the benefit we have received from the term in order just to bow to accuracy? I don't know. Uh, I never say it. But again, yeah, you're right. Like I have benefited from Google search analytics with things like cooking issues as one word or like Booker and Dax. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's too late. I've, like, I've been saying this for a long time. It's too late to, to go back and, you know, not have had relations with the dog on this one. It's like, you know, um, I, I just think it's, it's bad because it's not – it's like not accurate. It's less important now I guess because people know it all but – it was really a big deal when restaurants were getting uh, you know, fines and shut down for using sous vide and people were confusing the two techniques because low temperature cooking with a circulator that had no actual regulations on it. Uh, it was just a vacuum machine that had the regulation. So it was dragging an entire set of techniques into like a, like a kettle of nasty hot water when it didn't need to be. And I think, you know, especially when I was talking to Philip Preston back in the day, uh, and other people, I was like, why are you marketing 
a why are you marketing a cook a piece of cooking equipment that can be used without a vacuum machine and you're hanging the name of it and the name of the technique on this other much more expensive piece of equipment that you don't need to invest in right away so it just doesn't make any doesn't make any sense it would be like saying um you know it, it would be like only having the word for sunglasses be driving glasses so that you felt that you had to go buy a freaking automobile just to use a pair of freaking glasses. I and mean, it's not the case. That's not a really good analogy, but I'm coming up with it on the top of my head. It's like, you don't need a vacuum machine for a low temp cooking or for a circulator. So why would you tie the terms together? But again, I've lost. So whatever. You know, you can't. Turns out not only can you not win them all, you can't really win any of them. You know what I mean? You can't win. Um, okay. Uh, two, does Nastasia hate rabbits? No. I mean, well, to like, eat. Yeah, pets or eat? eating? Uh, it's fine to eat, too. What are you thinking? You have no thoughts one way or the other? No, I, I haven't eaten it enough. But it's fine. I will eat it. I got a rabbit sausage once from Heritage Foods. It's one of the best things. Mm. I, I made like a pasta with it. It was so good. That's a strong plug, Jack. That's yeah. good. Thanks. Just working that right in there. You yep. didn't even have the question ahead of time, right? Nope. Nice. Um... So there. No, Nastasia does not hate rabbits. Mm, alive or dead. Unless they're served with biscuits, in which case she hates that. <laughs> no. mm, Ooh, like a like a rabbit sausage egg and cheese on a biscuit. Sounds good. Does, except for No biscuits. No biscuits. Yeah, you're crazy. <laughs> she really is straight up nuts. It just doesn't make any sense. How about Yorkshire pudding? I've not had that. What is that? Well it's not really a biscuit. It's like when you take when you do you like prime rib at Christmas time? Mm-hmm. Jack, do you like a prime rib at Christmas time? Yeah. I think I might have prime rib at Christmas time this year. So what you do is is when you uh, cook the prime rib in traditional way or if you do uh, if you do low temp for insurance and then do a roast off on it, you get the drippings into the pan, right? So you have these fat drippings in the thing. And then you basically take a um, – what we used to call like a Dutch baby mix, which is like a thin pancakey batter whipped up with a bunch of eggs and you – dump it into the pan with the grease and it just puffs up into this like beef grease sounds good popover it's like it's like it's like it's like one giant popover dot mm-hmm. com <laughs> so you like sounds pop good. Sounds yeah. Good, yeah so you like popovers mm-hmm. i do like popovers so you're not a total enemy of quality no. jack you like popovers right yeah is there anyone that doesn't like a popover They're hard to find what's the matter this chair is isn't it the same chair you've been using for no, like a billion years? I think it, or somebody big sat in it. Did somebody big sit in Nastasia's chair? I, I can't say. Uncomfortable. Wow, you've been you've literally sat in this chair for almost two hundred episodes. Blown out. It might be this one that's usually here, and this one this one's over there. Jack, donate you? to Heritage Radio today and yeah, help us buy new chairs. Expensive. Yeah, Nastasia's Nastasia's butt will thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Back to rabbits. That said, the online community has failed me completely when it comes to rabbits. This is all from, by the way, from uh, Jame Five on. So I, I think that's probably Jameson with a five. It's like that's the password. Mm. Anyway, yep. Uh, I bought a rabbit at Union Square over the weekend. Uh, went to stew the saddle. Want to stew the saddle later, but I'm first looking to low temp confit the legs. Online temperatures and times are all over the map. Blog commenters complain about pasty. On every, uh, almost every site I've found making any recommendations. I saw a forum post claiming that modernist cuisine calls for 66 degrees Celsius for one hour. Uh, that's high. Other sites were doing uh, tests around 60 to 64 Celsius, but all with an ongoing conversation about time and claiming that too long and the meat goes pasty. What do you think about the word pasty? Don't like it. Don't like it? Do you like it? No. What about like pate a choux? 
No, don't like it. No. We know what a pasty is? Yeah. Are you from, are you all, all of a sudden you're from that area of the country? Where were you from? <laughs> from Long Island, but I went, uh, I went up to the Upper Peninsula this summer. Yeah? In uh, Michigan, and I had uh, like a traditional pasty. So some meat pies? Yeah. Were they good? It was really good. What were the crust like? Was the crust flaky or oily? It was a little bit flaky. like o- Oily? Pot like pie-ish, exuding oil? You know? pot pie- oh, I love a pot pie. Yeah. Okay, Stas. Yes. Pot, pot pie? pie? I like pot pie, yeah. Okay, so you like hate biscuits but like pie crust. No, I don't like the crust of a pot pie. What oh, the what? Oh, man. Wah, wah. The best part. No way. Yeah, you break it up. Yeah. Is the uh, no, you know what? Wait, first of all, I like a traditional freaking pot pie. Here's what I don't want. I don't want you to take a hotel pan, throw some crumbly crust bits on top of the pot pie mix, and say that you served me a pot pie. Oh, no way. That is garbage. Garbage. Pot pie. I remember when I was a kid. I used to put myself on fad diets when I was a kid. Why? Because I, I don't know. Like literally, like I would do. I would like not eat all day. I used to. You know what I used to eat a lot of when I was a kid? Steakums. Remember steakums? Oh, <laughs> gross. Steakums are like they're like fake cheesesteak meat. It's like pulped, pulped beef that they spray onto a piece of wax paper and then freeze solid. So, so bad. Yeah. So you literally, what you have to do is you have to take it apart, frozen. Because otherwise it just disintegrates it back into meat paste again, Ugh. and you stick it on your on your electric skillet because invariably these are made with electric skillets from the seventies, and then they kind of shrivel up and they solidify into these kind of like cheesesteakette things. Anyway, so I had everything like exactly sussed out. I was like X number of slices of American cheese, X amount of sautéed onions, X number of steakums on this particular roll with mayo and ketchup was like right at this number. I forget what the number was, but I had it right dialed in and it would be all I ate. Why? All day. Because I was an idiot. Anyways, how are I even on this? What were we talking about? Pot pies. We started with... So I remember I looked up like how many calories were in a pot pie and I was like, oh my God. And you know what then I realized? Calorie counting's for the birds. Crap on that. It was all done. <laughs> I was like, you know what? And you know, have you ever read the book Catching Fire? No. Uh, how how cooking made people human or whatever? It's interesting, but they you know they talk about a lot of things. You know, one of the things that's one hundred percent true is every calorie counting mechanism that is used is complete garbage. And you know the, the you know this person actually has uh, Rangham, I think is it, actually has real data to back it up. Whereas I always use this simple thought experiment. Have I said this one before on the air? I don't know. If you take uh, Jack, you can do this over the holidays. If you sure. take a gallon of oil, right, and you calculate how many calories were in a gallon of oil, you'd gain a good amount of weight, right, if calories were actually calories. If you could actually absorb all the calories that you eat in an equally potential way, right, swallowing a gallon of oil would be a problematic. However, if you swallow a gallon of oil, you just crap a gallon of oil out. You know what I'm saying? And now, he says it. In the book, in a much more kind of... Well, that's uh, what you're like, smoothie and juicing thing. I think juicing, though, you're going to absorb a lot more. So, like, I actually absorb less than, I guess, the average person because I wolf things down. Stasi says that I'm inhuman. Mm-hmm. So, like, all chunks of, like, you know... Anyway, his main point is that raw food diets are literally, like, you know, even uh, a very rich... Uh, Western city dweller can barely survive on a raw food diet in terms because they have to eat so much more yeah. because you're, the food's the, until you cook it the food's not really available to your body so they have to eat so much more so his point is is that and this is why how cooking made us human is that there's no way 
that modern humans could have existed based on a, a, a raw diet because he says chimps have to spend like like almost a third of their day chewing things mm. because they're eating raw raw mm-hmm. food and they have to eat so much of it and they have to chew the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. How the hell did we get on this? Pot pies. Uh, the detour was from pasty. That was my fault. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, no, it's, it's always my fault, Jack. It's never your fault. Oh, Miko's pasty. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, if time is so important, doesn't that mean that they are cooking so hot uh, that you might as well use an oven and not really low temperature? Why would the rabbit be unique in requiring such a specific time requirement unless we were getting the temps wrong? And do you have any suggestions on time or temps? Furthermore, even traditional confit recipes do not seem to agree. I've seen people insisting that you keep the oven under 210 degrees and others calling for 350 and even 375. Times vary from two hours to 10. Uh, is the time, uh, if the time is such a factor on the low temp, why is there no talk of pasty in the oven methods? Thanks for your, uh, for your help, uh, Jameson. Jamie 5 son. Uh, or Jamie 5 on. 5 on. Uh, anyways, uh, here's why. Um, you don't notice the pastiness in a piece of meat when you simply overcook it, right? So the classic pasty meat that you get is uh, tenderloin. Any kind of tenderloin, if you cook it for too long, even without overcooking it, it, tends to go pasty. And that's because the muscle doesn't actually have any real structure of its own. That's the problem. So uh, things, lo- things like beef tenderloin are always described when they're cooked too long as pasty. Um, and I haven't done a lot of rabbit low temp, but I guess rabbit has the same kind of, of an issue. Anything that, like I say, is like very low in, in connective tissue. I think that uh, chicken, especially if it's vacuum bagged and cooked too long, goes uh, kind of pasty or fibrousy. It's almost the fibers like become almost separated so that when you eat it, you get all this liquid at once, but then it turns into like a mush of fibers in your mouth as you chew it. And it's because the meat doesn't have too much structure of its own. That's the real problem. So uh, that's what they're talking about, and it doesn't happen in traditional cooking because you just usually undercook the inside and overcook the outside, and overcooking it just makes it hard, so it doesn't make it pasty. That's why it really only happens in these situations where you can get large pieces of meat that are all the same cooking temperature throughout it that you really notice the phenomenon. Um, Anyways, so the, the trick is is that you want to minimize uh, – also, I think duck can get pasty. Duck can also go livery. So some the, the two faults that you get with certain kinds of meats by cooking them too long, even at the proper temperature, is a fibrousness or pastiness. Sometimes, like I say, it's more fiber. Sometimes it's more paste. The worst also is like things like shrimp sometimes have an enzymatic reaction in them at low temperatures where they just turn to almost literally a paste that's completely unedible when you cook it for too long. Um, so those are the ones that are really kind of time limited, and it, it applies to the lower time, lower you know part of the of the temperature scale, like where you're not going all the way to a braise, but you're in like kind of the lower temp. It's usually meats that ha- are low in connective tissue. Um, on the paciness, on the livery side, it's usually. Um, like duck can go livery if you cook it too long. Things like, especially uh, really terrible are like cuts of beef that like don't have a lot of fat or structure, like eye of round in them. They tend to go livery and nasty when you when you cook them too long. Um, and so that's why I tend to not really cook things like tenderloin low temp uh, unless you're doing like a Wellington or something like this and you need to just cook it through really quickly. But I try to keep all of those times on things that go pacey under an hour. Um, And you can do that in a couple of ways. So if you have something that's thick, you can – you have to figure it out, but you can basically set your water bath a little bit higher than you actually want the center to be and then pull it um, a little bit early before the thing gets up. 
or you know you could do you know any number of things like that but it is problematic it's best to try to keep pieces of things that go pasty in ways that you can cook them in under an hour i've never really noticed any piece of meat going pasty in less than an hour um anyway that answer that question or not a little bit when you described that shrimp turning into paste, it was really sickening. Yeah. Oh, man. You know what? I used to do that as a demo when I was teaching at the FCI. I would do that as a demo. And then all of a sudden one day I wasn't able to uh, reliably make the disgusting paste anymore. But it was so bad. And you know, for any of you who have been to one of my demos, if I make something on purpose that's crappy, I make you eat it. The point oh, being that, you, well, you're supposed to know what happens, right? Yeah, you don't want to just yeah. take someone's freaking word for it. And so, you know, I used to enjoy watching people put it in their mouth and then everyone would spit it out because the texture was just like repulsive. Uh, but, you know, alas, I was not able to. Hey, you know what I had that's not repulsive? So uh, I'm not going to name any names because that would be rude, but it's a three star restaurant, Michelin star restaurant in Tokyo called Jiro. Nice. I'm not going to mention who it is, though, but maybe it's Jiro. Anyway, so Nastasia and I had, I believe, it was good. I had a good time. But, Stas, was that the worst, yeah. me, the worst dish yeah. you've ever had at a Michelin-starred restaurant in your really? life? Really? Yeah, yeah. The single worst dish I've ever had at a Michelin-starred restaurant was this uh, mantis shrimp that, uh, that I was, we were served that was – paste it was basically somehow like it was cooked mantis shrimp and it had turned to kind of this granular paste and it was just vile Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. remember that Mm -hmm. you can tell by the look on your face that you remember it Mm -hmm. like yeah uh also the most expensive but uh anyway so the point is is that uh here in the u.s we don't i don't really see live mantis shrimp that often and how do we describe what a mantis shrimp looks like it looks like – imagine like a cross between a lobster and a centipede, but Whoa. big. Wow. You know what I mean? Is that accurate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like a sea centipede. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, but, okay. It so was you, pasty? It had like no – Yeah. No it was because it had it? been cooked and then frozen or something and then thawed and then it was just like – it was like – At Jiro, huh? Yeah, yeah. Jiro dreams of pasty mantis shrimp apparently. <laughs> but the um, – so anywho – so, and I've bought mantis shrimp frozen here in the U.S., and they're just freaking awful. Like, one time buy, because I used to, I once tried one, I was doing, uh, you know, like a, a chipino, and so I buy a bunch of stuff to throw into the chipino. So I'm like, ah, well, put a mantis shrimp in, why not? Wretched, wretched. Um, terrible. So, in China, uh, and apparently it's like only been the rage for the past, I don't know, a couple of years or something. I went in Hong Kong. I went to one of these places where you buy, you, you buy the fish live and then, then they take it and they cook it for you. And in fact, you can go next door to the boat and buy it from the boat and then they cook it at the restaurant. It's a really weird situation. You can never do that in the U.S. So in the past couple of years, like very large mantis shrimp, like on the order of longer than a foot long, like big mantis shrimp are all there live. And, you know, they're like three inches across and like over a foot long, these mantis shrimp, and they're like kind of all flopping around. It's re- very like, you know, prehistoric mm-hmm. looking stuff. And the here, the, it was freaking awesome. Now, now to gauge whether or not you're going to like this, right? Are, you know, you're familiar like a salt and pepper shrimp. They're cooked twice, right? So they're cooked, they're fr- they're fried up and then fried again, so that they get the cr- they're super crispy on the outside. And when the shells are thin enough, you just, you can eat the shells, right? You familiar with this, Jack? 
Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, you always see people peeling it, and I'm like, you're losing all the flavor. Yeah, because yeah. Of the yeah, yeah. So these thin-shelled shrimp, right, you get to, the mantis shrimp, even though they're huge like that, the ones that I had, the shells were thin enough that when they did the double, the double cook-off like that on them, you could just eat the whole damn thing. Hmm. That was awesome. It was, like, hacked up into pieces and served, and it was just freaking... Freaking really good. I had some other. I don't know. Someday we'll talk. Someday we'll have time to talk about the uh, interesting food stuff. Anyway, have a question in here uh, from Steve that I don't have an answer to. So I'm hoping that uh, I'm hoping that the internets of uh, of people at the Heritage Radio can hook us up on this. Hello, everyone. My name is Steve. I just discovered your podcast recently, and I love it. This is going to gross stars out. So I'm going to look at her face. I've been already read it. And uh, what's your face? You have a neutral face? I can't face? do it again because I read it like when, like a week ago. And right? you were like, oh. So gross. Yeah. Uh, big fan of the cooking drama known as Hannibal on NBC. They, so Hannibal actually was a cooking show? It was about cannibalism and cooking? I really don't know. Jack, you familiar with this show? No, not at all. Now canceled. I don't watch TV. Well, I guess cooking because he, he was a Hannibal. Hannibal the Cannibal. Sure. I would guess. Listen to you, Jack. I don't watch TV. All right. It's true. You don't like TV? No, not really. Nothing. No, I don't. I don't have cable or a TV. I have a projector, and I'll watch like movies. Do you have Netflix? No, <sighs> I know. I'm sorry. How do you make um, you know? How, how do you stay plugged into uh, pop culture? There, just the internet, just the YouTube, all the time. That's the thing. I, all the TV stuff kind of goes over my head. People talk about all the shows they keep up on. Uh, that's like the one thing I kind of unsubscribe from. So people don't uh, don't uh, try to engage Jack in conversations <laughs> about the TV shows That's that right. you just watch. Boring conversation ahead. Wow! Damn! Wow! I love this Jack. You know I don't usually get the hater side of Jack. Rare. Rare. I mean, I, plenty of hate from me. Plenty of hate from Stas. Very little hate from Jack. I'm like, glad you brought it for Christmas. <laughs> this is the season. Yeah, Stas. Did you have you pulled out your uh, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer set? Daryl, my dream. Oh my god! So Nastasia has the entire Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, like what is it, thirty or fifty, fortieth year anniversary set, where you had to buy, you had to buy Yukon Cornelius, Hermie, Rudolph, and Santa Claus, and then you send away and you get the Bumble. Right. And Stas, I think, was the only person that ever sent them all, and he got the Bumble. It took a really long time to get them. No, we thought they were going to screw you on the Bumble. I know. That that is something Nastasia likes a lot, and by the way, I agree with her. All the Rankin Bass old, like you know. Oh my God! I wish Stas, you got to tweet out the Bumble is on the top of Nastasia's Christmas tree, like King Kong on the top of the Empire State Building, and you know uh, you are a hater in general, but you do pull out the Christmas, which mm-hmm. I enjoy. Um, so I'm on the Hannibal page here for the on Wikipedia, yeah. and apparently Jose Andres was the series's culinary cannibal consultant. Yeah, that's what that's well, yeah, right? Is that what he's getting to in the yeah. question? That's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, so the show was canceled because I guess there's only so much cannibalism people want to see uh, on the TV. I don't know. And one of the things that stuck out to me was an episode where Hannibal talks about centrifuging sow's blood uh, in order to create a clear liquid that tastes sweet. That would be the plasma. I asked some medical professionals about it, and they mentioned that they had heard anecdotally from third-hand sources – third-hand, I like that. I never tasted it – that serum and plasma are indeed sweet-tasting. Sounds interesting. I wanted to try it for an awful-themed dinner. I got a cheap centrifuge to spin some blood, a 6-tube primitive Clay Adams model 0181, which is like a standard uh, thing, uh, that I think was used by companies to give employees physicals for commercials driver's license tests or something like this. 
Anyways, the capacity is horrible, but I got some pork blood from my local butcher to centrifuge, and after about half an hour, I got zero zilch separation. This puzzled me, since this machine was presumably used to separate blood for physicals. I called the butcher shop I got the blood from, Bel Campo Meats in Los Angeles, so uh, you, you can hang out and get some... Uh, no thanks. No, th- no thanks. Uh, and they said they didn't add anything to the blood as an anticoagulant. It's just pure pork blood. It can't really be true, though, right? Otherwise, it would coagulate. I think there's got to be some... I think uh, maybe if the... Doesn't the pH... I forget. It's been such a long... There's plenty of literature about cooking with blood from plenty of sources, but nothing I can find out about centrifuging it for culinary use. Since Jose Andres was the culinary consultant on the Hannibal TV series, and he hasn't mentioned anything about centrifuging blood in any of his books, I have come to the conclusion that he has all this fun information about it and is jealously guarding it and keeping it from people like me. I don't think I can afford a centrifuge with significantly higher RPMs, so I'm wondering if there is a way to chemically clarify the solids out of blood similar to the way you clarify fruit juices and to produce a clear, possibly sweet serum or plasma. I always get them mixed up. Steve in Los Angeles. So, wow, I don't know. I've never centrifuged blood uh, in any of my machines. Uh, But this seems to me, Jack, am I right? Like this is something that I guarantee you we have – People. People. I think so. Like, this is one of the things where you don't need me. There's been... There's people out there, right? There's people out there. There's people out there. Don Vo writes in from Berkeley, California. You know, I've never been to Berkeley. Isn't that weird? Do you like it over there? No. (laughs) Nice. Wow. What's... Nice. All right. Uh, And he says... Uh, he says nice things about us, which I enjoy. He says, well, I do have some questions. I don't know what to ask first yet. Uh, anyways, we, we might as well just ask anything, right? People ask anything. You don't have to wait till you have like, just anything. Ask a cooking question. Anyways, I do miss the original Fishes Fishes Vodka. Remember that, Jack? Yeah. Or, yeah. What I the would like days. to know, and here's the question that's important. What I would like to know is where do I get the Jackie Molecules ringtone? And is that still available for my phone? Ooh, we, I might have taken care of this for him, uh, but email us again, info at heritageradionetwork.org. Uh, the response will be quicker if you're a donor of Heritage Radio Network, <laughs> but uh, shoot us an email. We'll sort it out. All right, and we'll, and we'll see what Stas thinks about this. Also, this has probably been said before, but is Aubrey Plaza's character on Parks and Rec a character portrayal of Nastasia. You feel yourself like uh, it seems uh, like through the last 230 episodes, I imagine Aubrey Plaza channeling Nastasia. Uh, please don't hurt me, Stas. I respect the hammer. She sounds like someone awesome to hang out with. Thanks. That's See, nice. you saved yourself. Although I think Aubrey seems like cool. Like I would want to hang out with yeah, her, she right? Does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, I tell all the cooks and bartenders I know about cooking issues while I'm not in the industry myself. I seem to confuse people when I tell them I work in IT. All the stuff on the show you guys talk about uh, makes them think that I work in a kitchen, which is highly amusing as I feel like a total fake. Uh, nice. Well, well, here's to making you feel like a, a total fake. Yeah. Uh, that's what we do. That's, that's how we do. We should wrap it up. Oh, all right. Stas is telling me we've got to pull off it. So we should say anything specific in Christmas? We gonna do anything? Any any Christmassy things? Any advice we need to give for Christmas cooking? I don't know. Hmm. I'll give you. We some... didn't get any Christmas. Christmas. Well, it's because they didn't know it was going to be the last episode. Well, before it's the Christmas. last. Yeah, they would. Or it's right, a I'll war give, on I'll give you guys. A, knows. Oh, war war <laughs> on Christmas. Stas, are are you are you? No, Stas is a pro pro Christmas warrior. Christmas, yeah. Jack, are I'm you? I'm neutral. A, I'm a solstice guy. What? 
What? That's today. Happy. Well, yeah. no, that was yesterday. No, no, no. Twenty first. Twenty first. Yeah. Anyway, longest, uh, so, uh, shortest day of the year, rather. A, a, a couple of things. Let me get a couple of things out of the way since I'm not having people call in. Right. One. Uh, I went to China. I went to Hong Kong and Shenzhen. More on that later, if you guys are interested. Um, but I went specifically. I met the guy who makes the Searsall. How cool is that? Also, Searsalls are going to be back online in early January. What do you mean? They're out? They sold out? Freaking Amazon? No, 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 no. The new load, <laughs> they are taking their sweet time on putting them into the factories. Did you just say the new load? The new load. But is, are there none available right now? Zero. We sold out of ours. And the new load is being held onto. Where is it? It's... They can't tell me. You know how they are. We have none left? Zero. I Wait, freak- someone online is selling one on Amazon for $7,300. Wow. That's a joke. Yeah. Let me tell you something, people. Ah, I told Amazon that they were going to run out. Oh, we told them. This was not on us. When did this happen? Yesterday? I got a bunch of emails yesterday, and then all morning I've been on the phone with them. Oh, Jesus. And it, they're in the country? They just don't- Oh, yeah. They're here. They're Freaking here. Guys. <laughs> Freaking guys. Freaking guys. Freaking guys. And we're almost out of steak decorators. They're coming from... Listen, if you guys... Listen, the steak decorator, we didn't do a lot of talking about it. It actually is a really nice piece of equipment, but Nastasi and I have to really feel that people want it in order for us to order another batch because they were really just for the Kickstarter people. But, you know, I use mine every day. It's like, imagine if, like, imagine... If like lazy Su- if if like Susan stopped being lazy, took a bunch of anabolic steroids, and like you know she became like super robo. We can't call it Robo Susan because there's no motor in it, and we feel that like a Robo Susan would have to be motorized, right? By the way, every restaurant I went to in China had a giant lazy Susan. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so I went to China to deal with uh, possibly a new next year sometime Sears all thing. And also to deal with the centrifuge. And I got good news and I got bad news. The bad news is it's taking us a little bit longer to do the centrifuge than I had hoped. I'm going to go through another round of prototyping. Uh, We will start talking about the centrifuge and releasing pictures uh, early in the new year and hopefully in mid-January and uh, telling you about all of its capabilities and what it can do. Um, But as usual, we don't want to put something out until we're happy with it and so it's going to take a, a month or two longer than we had hoped right Stas? Mm-hmm. but it's going to be sweet when it happens but remember it, a lot of this is about uh you know well we'll talk more when depth when 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 i when i announce it sometime in mid-january uh the other thing is is that when you're cooking for christmas or whatever hanukkah that's over next year whatever new year's whatever the primary thing, uh, and this is how I like how I do try to do almost everything, is run a small test first. That's the thing, right? It's like you're going to have fifteen or twenty people over. You're going to spend money, like a couple hundred dollars on meat, or you're going to do some big thing of veg. Take the time to just do a couple of small scale tests first. Most of the time, it's not that big of a deal. Like if it's a poultry problem, just get like one breast or one leg and test it out. And this is the same thing. If you're going to be on a TV show, test the stuff out before you're going to before you're going to do it. Before you try to do it with the whole thing, because I know it seems like you don't have the time to do it, but that's really the way to figure out what's going to happen. If you run just one or two simple tests the second time around, it's going to be so much better. That's how I figure out everything anyway, and that's how. Hopefully you don't ruin the holidays. 
So happy holidays from Cooking Issues. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.